know, the first is that I think creativity is the new productivity. I think that the way people used to stand out at work was by getting more done more quickly. Why I'm so bullish and excited about the age of AI, because whereas some people think it's going to replace creatives, I actually think it's going to unleash creatives. Creative expression is a box, right? Of the creative expression that actually yields, you know, goes out to humanity, the stuff that people create. Hello and welcome to The Colin Creative. My name is Chris Meredith. And my name is Paul Fairweather. And we're on a mission to lift the lid on creativity, work and beyond through the lens of ideas, stories, and visual cognition. I think we're both on a bit of a high right now. We just had an interview with one of the gods of creativity. Today's guest is Scott Belsky, who currently is the chief strategist at Adobe, previously was the chief product officer at Adobe, and prior to that, bootstrapped two incredibly successful ventures, one being Behance and the other being a conference called 99U. Chris, it was about a half hour because that's unfortunately all Scott had and he's a very busy man. But oh my God, the insights that we got were just so inspiring and enlightening. I, I think first we should just recognize what Scott has achieved, not only as an entrepreneur founding a brand new for social media, Behance is a, is a way of, 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 which organizes the world of creatives, but also this kind of broader idea about how people start and create new ideas. He's written a couple of books, Making Things Happen and The Messy Middle. So he not only does the stuff, but he analyzes and talks about the way he does stuff. I, so I think it's exceptionally exciting. What do we learn? That AI unleashes creativity. He talked about a box and how it lifts the the lid of the box and it reduces the floor of the box so ai will be a creative um unblocker for the world that's one of the big things yeah see as you said creativity is a new productivity um look chris there are so many things about you know for him it's all connected i think what what i found is and i've known scott uh for many years met him very briefly many years ago he basically has such a such clarity around where he sits and how he connects to all the different things that he does. And for me, that's quite inspirational. And not that he, you know, he, he is, I suppose, a genius, you know, in his own right, but he, and he probably gets muddled like the rest of us, but he has the clarity to see his way forward to make all these things happen, you know, to get out of the messy middle, I suppose. This idea about working in different modes, he talks about doers, dreamers, incrementalists, and he has the ability to be a dreamer at one moment, to flip into being a doer, and then flip into being an incrementalist, and I think that's a real inspiration for people like you and I, Paul, if you're trying to make things happen, which is what he does, you need to kind of put on different hats and think in different ways to, to move a project forward. Yeah, Chris, look, I think um, you and I could chat for the next half hour on everything we've learned or longer. Yeah, let's get Scott in. Scott Balski, welcome to the Common Creator Podcast. Thank you both for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. Scott, really excited to have you on the show. Thanks so much for joining us. So, Scott, if we could just quickly start off by you giving us that, a quick pot in history about your journey, about how you landed where you are now. Well, it certainly starts in the basement of a house in Newton, Massachusetts, where I found myself always going to what I called Scott's creativity area <laughs> uh, to, to make and tinker away. It was where we had all these kind of objects from these uh this place called the recycled store 
in, in Boston that sold you basically bags full of crazy stuff that you could just make stuff with. And then I had my first Apple 2GS down there and the rest is history. Um, I, uh, I founded a company back in 2005 called Behance uh, with a mission to organize the creative world at work. Behance is now around 42 million creatives around the world showcasing their work and getting attribution and connecting with collaborators and getting opportunity. Um, and then uh, that company uh, ultimately was acquired by Adobe in late 2012. But during the process uh, between the founding and our acquisition, uh, I became a student of what made creative teams productive or as most struggled and wrote a book called Making Ideas Happen back in the day all about that. Um, and I always have been kind of motivated by my frustration with how many amazing creative minds there are in the world and how few ideas actually see the light of day and get scale. And so that's always been my passion in my in my career. Um, ever since coming into Adobe, I've basically been here with a small hiatus in between for about 10 years, uh, trying to uh, trying to enable creativity, uh, democratize creativity, and also raise the ceiling on what creative pros can accomplish. And so you know, did that as five years as chief product officer and uh, most recently as chief strategy officer and head of all design and emerging products for the company. Um, Scott, what's the difference between, you know, like the bootstrapping and being, you know, a senior person in such a moth company like Adobe, although Adobe is obviously focused literally on creativity. Can you, can you sum that up at all? Or? Yeah. You know, I think that, I think that there are as many tensions and frustrations as an entrepreneur working amidst anonymity, ambiguity, and uncertainty, as there are in big companies working amidst bureaucracy. You know, and whenever you're in a big company and you say you miss the small company more, and whenever you're in the small company, you say, gosh, I just <laughs> wish people knew we existed. <laughs> and you miss the big company, the reach, the go-to-market advantage, you know, the platform that you can sit on to, to share new things. So having seen both, you know, I've learned that they're both great um, and they're both hard. And so I try to make the most of, of both. I think at Adobe, those who work with me would probably say that I'm a bit of the entrepreneur in the company. You know, I do try to instigate a lot. You know, I do help develop the narrative of where we're going and why. And, and I do try to get people aligned, you know, around the company. And I also am a champion of some new technologies that, you know, oftentimes start in the lab or in a white paper that I, uh, you know, try to do my very best to clear the path for. Scott, I'd love to hear more about how you balance these two things themes in your life, which is on the one hand, entrepreneurship, angel investing, innovation. Um, and on the other hand, this sort of look back at the way you work and this this broader idea about making things happen and, and you know, how you get through that messy middle. And that sounds almost like an academic pursuit. I, I was thinking about Sir Ken Robinson, for example, or people like that, who are like university professors. So how do you balance those I'm sort of I'm impressed, I suppose, that you're able to do both. But my question is, how do you balance it? How do you avoid yourself going down one rabbit hole or the other? Well, first of all, I do feel like everything in my life kind of connects. I'm actually very inspired by uh, by this right here. This is the Disney business model hanging on my wall behind me, um, for those who can't see. But uh, you know, I always loved the graphic that Walt Disney made for the vision of his business, which showed how everything connected. You know, the characters... And the stories drove merchandise sales and merchandise sales drove people wanting to see the movies and wanting to see the movies made people want to go to the theme park and being at the theme park made one people want to, and it kind of just continued to be a cycle of different, different pieces. And, uh, and I do think, you know, as I look at my life now as a, an investor and advisor to entrepreneurs, as a, 
you know, someone who has a day job, you know, within a company like Adobe. And I also write a, a newsletter called Implications. You know, I'm always trying to find the connections between these things. And, uh, and I'm also trying to test not only what we make, but how we make. You know, I get fascination out of A-B testing ways of working. You know, new ways of taking note, new ways of tracking actions, new ways of running meetings, canceling meetings. You know, I'm a bit of a I'm a bit of a student, you know, on all of those things. And I love tinkering with those parts of the equation as well. So, you know, the way you say it, it makes it seem like it's many different things. But in fact, the way I see it is it's, you know, this amalgamation of the same thing. I guess there's a lesson for everybody there, which is to kind of study yourself. Is that I noticed that I'm doing this. Why is that? And are they, is, is that what is that a good takeout for, for creative? Study yourself. What are you doing? What aren't you doing? Why are you doing this? I, I'm really into that. You know, I, I get curious. You know, I, I don't like the flattery. What I like is the criticism. Um, I love it when people say to me, Scott, when you did that, that didn't really come through. You know, that didn't really resonate. Feedback is like this incredible goldmine of knowledge about yourself. It's, you know, I feel like so much of success for creative people is figuring out the disconnect between what's in your brain and what people are hearing and seeing. Um, and, uh, you know, and it's a very, it's, it's a very difficult uh, margin to remove because it's painful. You know, it's like, it's criticism. It's, it's, it you know, makes us feel uncomfortable about ourselves. It makes us second guess ourselves. It, you know, taps our concerns that we're a fraud and that we're, you know, that there's nothing there. Yeah. And and yet when you understand and can, un, you know, expose all that's in that margin in between, you know, you really can understand exactly what the story is that's coming across. I'm obsessed with that. I see. And I suppose that's, that's very interesting, you know, that you've ended up in a diary because, you know, that's their primary focus, isn't it? Giving, giving people tools to be able to visually express themselves better so that, you know, people can understand, you know, what's in one head to another head. That's an interesting point, Paul. I feel like there is a consistency there. I believe that all humans, you know, have this creativity in them. And I do believe it comes from things that are hard to verbalize, you know, whether it was childhood traumas or feeling different for some reason or, or uh, you know, life experiences that made you see things differently, that made you pay attention to mistakes of the eye and that sort of thing. And then it's just friction to get it out. You know, you have these ideas. It's just you know, whether it's industrial friction, like y'all don't have access to the industry to make this screenplay happen or actually have a an agent to make this book come to be or or whether it's, you know, friction of skill sets, you know, gosh, these tools are so hard to use or, you know, I downloaded, um, you know, I downloaded Premiere Pro and I don't even know where to start. How am I ever going to make this movie? Uh, so if you can remove that friction, you unlock more native human potential. And, you know, and that's, also, by the way, why I'm so bullish and excited about the age of AI, because whereas some people think it's going to replace creatives, I actually think it's going to unleash creatives. Can you expand a little bit on, on yeah. that? <laughs> it's it's yeah. more yeah. it's you know, <laughs> the way the way I, I've 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 started to believe think about it is that is that in some ways cre creative expression is a box, right? Of the creative expression that actually yields, you know, goes out to humanity, people, the stuff that people create. And the box has a floor in the sense that it's hard to express creatively, you know, and to have the schools, uh, the skills. So there's always been a floor to like, you know, it, it's hard to get into it, right? And then there's also a ceiling. It's like, there's only so much I can do because I only have so much time in a day and I only have so many skills. So there's only so much I can actually do at a quality bar. And what I think AI is doing is two things. One is it's lowering the floor 
such that more people can access it because you don't have to have as many skills, you don't have to have as much money, and you don't have to have as much training. Um, so more people are now becoming creatively confident and the floor has gone down, which makes the box bigger, right? If the floor goes down. And then the ceiling has gone up because now you can achieve more with less time and with less skills. So for example, if you're a motion graphics artist or an illustrator or a writer you know, or a business thinker, you now can actually video edit. You can now make an animation. You can now use your prompts and ideas to develop something, an illustration to show rather than tell. And so that ceiling of what you're capable of has gone up. And so when you have the floor go down of a box and you have the ceiling go up of a box, you have a much bigger box. And um, you know, that's what's exciting about creativity these days. What about the wall? What about the walls? Yeah. <laughs> Very wide wall. That's the people. That that, well, that is a fantastic uh, analogy. We, we've had a series of people on recently spe focusing purely on AI. And that, that's, that's a lovely thing. And, and I think it's interesting because, you know, you say, you know, the question I was going to ask you, excitement or fear, you know, as you know, two sides of the same emotion. So you're definitely on the, uh, on the excitement side. I am. And, uh, and when I get confronted with people that say, no, you know, creative jobs are going to go away or people are going to have to hire fewer designers. You know, my response is simple. First of all, engineers have become more productive every year for the last decades or two, two decades probably. And yet people keep hiring more engineers. Why? Because if you can get more out of every engineer every year, you end up wanting more engineers because you want to make more products and you want to make better marketing and you want to make better quality experiences, right? And so you just, you desire to do more things across more platforms and more formats, like with, with more ingenuity per person. And I think the same thing is with the creative world. You know, if I have five designers on my team and now I can tap 30% more ingenuity per person, then we can explore formats across more platforms and we can try more experiments and we can make more products. And, and so, you know, unless I may you know, a private equity owned business that's being squeezed for cash. No one has any interest in more products and more possibility. You know, I'm going to want to hire more creative people. So I do think that's what's going to ultimately pan out. It's, it's I think that's a really interesting insight because this idea of kind of, I think one of the implications of, of AI, things being automated thing, is that it, it challenges us as human beings. Sort of what, where do we add value? What do we do? And I think what that suggests is one of the kind of, I know the last resorts, the, the places where we can really thrive is in our creativity. And even though AI can do things that look like creativity, um, you know, we ourselves are the ones, uh, I think the only um, people that, that can do it. So it really, it really challenges us or maybe democratizes the idea that we're all creators. We can all express ourselves rather than just having that yeah. department and the agency are the ones who do that for you. I think that's right, Chris. I do think that... Um you know, there will be 100x more people creating because of the floor going down. And I think that the quality of what's coming out from the pros, the people who dedicate their lives to this, the bar goes up because that ceiling, you know, goes up. But I think you make another point around the human role in all this. And, um, and I think we would all agree that the creativity that is effective is the creativity that moves us. And, uh, and, and so, you know, any brand or anyone can flood the zone these days with content. I mean, you can use chat GPT and write a hundred articles in an hour about one concept that you guys have, and you can trick the search engines and you can flood the zone, so to speak with content. 
But the stuff that will really move me, you know, and make me want to share it and make me think about my life, you know, and, and engage me in a more deeper way, you know, that comes from soulfulness. And that, that I think is a, is a truly human endeavor. It's that, it's that connection. I love that. Um, I've, I've written this down, IPP, Ingenuity Per Person, as a new, uh, <laughs> as, a, as a new marker. Um, look, I often talk about, and I don't know if you find the same thing, Scott, but well, probably not because you're, you know, but often when we, Chris and I talk to the corporates, you know, they don't understand creativity, love the idea of it, but they're scared of it. So I often use the word ingenuity, um, being clever, original and inventive. And I think, you know, here in this country, you know, our, our uh, founding people, you know, had an incredible amount of ingenuity, you know, to live in the harsh land. And, and, I, and I think the same applied, you know, to uh, the Native Americans as well in terms of, you know, the ingenuity that they, they had to survive and to re- really flourish, you know, in, in that company. So I'm interested in this, in this idea about that really what it's about is it's allowing people to, AI is allowing people to express themselves better, you know, and as you say, dem- democratise it. But now, you know, and I think that is just a wonderful thing because you know, this is what we're all about, about allowing people to express themselves and to get their ideas out there. Do you have any idea where it's going to go? Like, do you, in terms of the technology that you're dealing with, do you have a vision? Like, uh, anything you can give us a, a view uh, to f- the future? Well, I think the uh, I think a few things that I think about a lot you know, are going to happen. You know, the first is that I think creativity is the new productivity. I think that the way people used to stand out at work was by getting more done more quickly. And I think that the way people will stand out at work going forward, much like they stand out on social media and in school will be through their creativity, like a novel way of expressing themselves. And that has a lot of implications, right? That means that we can't confine art class to an hour every Friday. It has to be, art has to be integrated into all parts of the curriculum. And the next generation of students need to be outfitted to express themselves visually in compelling ways in order to be successful in their jobs. Like we have to totally rethink education. I think it also means different tools need to be deployed throughout the enterprise. You know, just like Microsoft deployed Word and Excel and PowerPoint, you know, in previous decades as productivity tools to help people be successful. And of course, I'm biased here because I work at Adobe, but I think you're going to have to, I think you're going to have to deploy creative tools throughout the organization to help people express themselves. And, and that was the way that that was the founding sort of vision of our, of our product Adobe Express was the idea was like, we got to give everyone the ability to make an incredible infographic or make a video for their peers to convince them to do something. So I think that's another implication, you know, of, of creativity being the new productivity. Uh, uh, does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, yeah. A question from the world of corporate organizations. It, it, is there a risk of that? It's very threatening because what you're suggesting is people should explore and create and what business needs is people to kind of do what they're told. And that's, that's you know, you sit at your desk in your department, read your job description, do what you're told. And, and this idea of everyone explores, and I, I think I, I saw a quote from you in, I think it was in Tools of Titans, Tim Ferriss's book, and he said it's all about getting lost and it's really important to have that that. Um, challenge to yourself when you're not sure where you are, which is a great experience as an adventure. But if you're in a business, if you're a company trying to do something, doesn't don't you end up with chaos? They want to say, oh, I'm being creative, I'm exploring, I'm trying this stuff out. I said, well, hang on, we got stuff to do here. <laughs> well, here's the thing. You know, I always like to say that when it comes to a process in a company, you know, a, a leader of a process doesn't just practice the process, the leader changes the process. And that's, I think, true for every function 
in a company is you're always seeking to improve and change a process to make it better. It doesn't matter if you're in accounting or in procurement or any other part of an organization. The question I have sometimes is how do you convince people to change? And as you both know, it's story, it's narrative, it's, it's, it's telling something, it's marketing, it's merchandising, change. Um, and so if, if the future accountants and procurement officers and staffing are ultimately going to use AI in their discipline, then, um, then what are they going to do with their time? What is going to make them successful in their careers? And my bet is that it is the, uh, the convincing of people to change, you know, it's the improvements that they're going to drive. So uh, then I'll, yeah. yeah. Our limitation is our, our own ability to be flexible, our own ability to absorb new, new ideas. That's, that's the limiting factor. I think that's, I think that's right. And so that's, uh, that, that would be my forecast is that all these leaders and people within these functions will have hybrid roles where AI will do half of their role and the other half of their job will be more around the iteration and the improvement. I can, I've, I've got this idea, uh, and you can have this for free, Scott. Um, that kind of AI can, can kind of watch what you do in a good way, observe you, and, and go, hey, I could do that for you. Or did you know you're, you're doing something silly, you re- keep repeating this, and there's yeah. a shortcut. Or there's a, so there's, it's like you're kind of your assistant to, to, to liberate you, to, to do the stuff that you want to do. I, I'm sort of, it's, it's interesting how Adobe is, is a huge part of my, my life. I, I think Lightroom is the first piece of software I use each morning and it's there without me even noticing it it's not like it's kind of a piece of software it's just something I use it's a, it's a lovely tool I was good love to hear about your own cr- approach to creativity and whether for you it's something are you are you expressing yourself through what you do at work when you're when you're kind of away from work you just need to chill out or is there another side to you is there a an artist or a musician or a singer or what what does Scott Belsky do when he's not at work I guess is what I'm asking <laughs> yeah, it's an, it's an interesting question. You know, I think that at work, creativity comes out in bouts, you know, at periods of time where I'm asked to develop the strategy. That's when I'm working the hardest is when I'm working to develop an, a new strategy that's ultimately a narrative of what's changing in the world around us and how do we describe and encapsulate that? And then what are we going to do to solve these new problems that we'll face? And how do we use design to show rather than tell that? And then develop a narrative that everyone gets aligned around and heads nod across functions. And then people can kind of allocate resources accordingly. So that's a, a version of my creativity, I would say, in the workplace. But I love writing. My uh, monthly discipline of, of pumping out a newsletter under, you know, called Implications, that, yeah. you know, that's a very creative discipline for me. And then I also have lots of ideas that I'm always capturing, you know, and they're for as weird things as characters for some novel I'll probably never write to, uh, you know, to other ideas for businesses and products that I would want. And I just, you know, I think it's an art in and of itself, right? To have these ideas and to think about them. It's essentially, we, we had to the season of this show um, all about the neuroscience of creativity. And it, it's interesting, you mentioned working in bouts. Um, we've learned that the kind of human brain needs very specific conditions in order to be creative. It's not something you can do at nine o'clock on a Monday morning. On You need to be in a positive frame of mind. You need to be the right people. You need to be surrounded by nature. So the idea of um, working in balance is a kind of, is, there's a, a moment when you're highly effective and yeah. creating something new. And then there's other moments when you're gathering ideas. I think that's right. And I think, you know, for me, I just always have to love it. You know, when I find something that I get really fascinated by, 
I can actually get creative pretty quickly. But when I am not, when I don't love it, um, or I find it really annoying, it's it's hard for me. Scott, I, I just wanted to ask, because we haven't chatted yet, but you also founded 99, 99U, mm-hmm. which was a, 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 a corporate around getting stuff done. The thing, whole idea of only 1% inspiration, 99% inspiration. Do you think you need to rename that given the AI? Is it going to be the 80-20 U? Uh, because, you know, we, we're going to be more productive so, you know, we can have 20% creativity or 20% inspiration. That's a great question. Um, and we, we retired the conference after 10 years. But if we restarted it, I, I do think that there's a, the, the equation has certainly changed. Um, that's, a good, that's, a good, that's a good question. I mean, the one thing I would say, though, is that you know, as you both know, I mean, the inertia that a creative person faces and just getting traction and pushing something forward and forcing themselves to make something and ship something, you know, a lot of that is psychological friction that won't even be taken away by AI. You know, it will still be with us. And that's, you know, when I think back to a lot of the talks at that conference over the years, it was a lot of it was very psychological, you know, people overcoming their own self-doubts and, you know, forcing themselves to, uh, to, to ship even when they didn't have sometimes the, you know, the assuredness that they could be successful. It's interesting that concept because you talk about creative confidence and I, and I wonder if what drives creators is that doubt. You need that kind of sense of unease and you need to kind of express ideas to see if it kind of reduces that confidence. So, so it's, a, it's a difficult um, mixture on the one hand to be confident, but on the other to celebrate and explore doubt as a way, as a fuel for creativity. Yeah. I guess what I'm saying is if we all become creatively confident, we get we become less good as creators. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's interesting. The, uh, it's important not to have the answers, in other words. Yeah, because it's, it's funny. I, I, um, on the one hand, I believe that, you know, I believe that creative confidence in humanity is probably highest when we're five years old, when uh, yeah. everything we do gets put on a refrigerator and we're constantly reinforced, you know, how great we are. And then we realize that there's critics. We realize that, there are skills that we don't have and we lose our confidence. And I do think that that's where certain tools and AI capabilities can restore human confidence, you know, human creative confidence, uh, as opposed to lose it and have it dissipate so quickly. But I also believe, to your point, that when you're doing something bold and new and something somewhat provocative, something that society would typically shun before it celebrates, um, we have to learn to gain confidence from doubt. You know, and I, I write about that in Making Ideas Happen, this idea that a lot of people I interviewed reached a point in their careers where they learned to gain confidence from doubt. And when, when everyone was telling them that they were crazy, they realized that they were either crazy or they were really It's <laughs> 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 a lovely thought. Um, I was, I, I, it's a, it leads to a question I had about Behance, and, and you describe it as a... It's a sort of platform to organize the creative community. And I think it was founded way back, what is it, 2008, something like that. How did that idea of organizing the creative community come about? And was it really there at the start? Or, or was it a kind of improvisation? At what, what point do you realize this is what we're trying to achieve? Or is it is it all an improvisation? Well, with, with the ends, you know, I, I would describe it as a um, very mission-centric, medium-agnostic business from the very beginning. Then the mission was always to organize the creative world. You know, and I would tell people that was our mission, and they'd be like, "Oh, good luck with that." You know, but but uh, 
Well, that was what we intended on doing. But the way we did it was always through different mediums. So we actually, our first product was a note, was an action pad, it was called. It was a, there was a designed set of pads and notebooks that helped people um, stay organized in meetings, designers, you know, help them be more focused. It was a physical notebook. It was a physical what? notebook. We were in the paper products business, you know, for our first year. We, um, of course, the 99U conference was a conference devoted to organizing the creative world and uh, and and the execution side of creativity. And then Behance was an organizational platform for creative work. You know, it was it was really intended to just organize who was doing what for what brand with what tools for what client and what region and what sector of creativity. So we were trying to fulfill this mission of creating organizing the creative world, but in many different mediums. I think that's why it took us, you know, a long time to be understood in the market because people were like, you know, what is this company? Like, Ooh. just looking back, I think there are plenty of easier groups to try and organize. You know, maybe engineers or accountants, right. they would be easy to organize, but creatives, like the very last group you'd think. Oh, yeah. Right. <laughs> creatives typically wear their disorganization as a badge of honor. So it's, you know, it's, they resist it a little bit. I'm thinking of that ad where they're, they're, they're herding cats, you know, on the horses and they're, um, I can't remember who the ad, ad is for, but uh, yes, that's amazing. Chris, sorry, you're going to... No, I was just wondering, what about your own personal... Is, it, is your room... We can see in the background a bookshelf and things like... Are, are you a super organised person? Or if you could if you could see here, you can see a desk coloured in, even they've got posted... Uh, anyway, I'm not an organised person. T tell us about yourself. Are you one of these people that everything's in straight runners? Yeah, well, you know, it's funny. Like I, um, I, I wrote about uh, this idea of... You know, all these people I interviewed for making it just happen either were classified as doers or dreamers. You know, and the dreamers always went to bed at night thinking about what's next and what could be done. And they were typically sort of more disorganized and all over the place because they were always focused on the next great idea. And then doers were the opposite. You know, they were always going to bed at happiest when there were no new no new ideas. Nothing was taking us off track. You know, everything was unplanned. And they, they hated last minute ideas to make things better because they just wanted everything to be as planned. But then I classified a third type of person that I described as the incrementalist because they had this weird innate ability to rotate from dreamer mode to doer mode to dreamer mode to doer mode. The problem with those people is they create too many damn things and none of them ever scale. And they struggle because they get frustrated. Like, why couldn't this have been bigger? Why couldn't this have been bigger? You know, and or why didn't this get ever better? And I classify myself as an incrementalist. Like, that's my struggle is I... I go through these dreamer modes and doer modes and dreamer modes and doer modes. And as a result of that, a lot of the things that I want to make big in this world, you know, I feel I move too fast from, and I need to round myself out with people with the opposite tendencies so that they can kind of keep me in check and, 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 you know, be the yin to my yang. But I think that's how I would describe my desk, you know, is that I go through periods of time where I'm immersed in this dreamer mode and it's a little bit all over the place. And then I go through this like intense organizational mode where I everything gets audited and organized and cleaned and I can't work unless I'm like absolutely <laughs> organized. And and can you choose which mode you want to be in or does your body just do it for you? Yeah, the body, I think my, my body does it for me. I think I just, <laughs> it's where my mind is at. It's what the phase is. And, you know, and I've come to believe that actually teams, you know, especially new product teams and, and startups, in some ways, you're the orchestra conductor of a very similar motion in a team where you kind of go through periods of 
of imagination. And then you go through mm -hmm. periods of a very, very intense execution and, you know, and staying focused and organized. Then you kind of open the aperture again. Uh, I do think that's, that's the realistic best practice. Um, Scott, I, I, I'm sure you know this quote, but there's a famous quote by Sarah Bach Barash. Um, the world needs dreamers and the world needs doers, but what the world really needs are, do are dreamers that do. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so, and, and I think, you know, that's probably the, you know, the incre incrementalist, as you call it. But Paul, let me say one thing, which is that I think, you know, the takeaway I have from your quote is actually that it's, it's a team effort, yeah. you know, and, um, and I just think that a lot of us creatives, you know, are introverts in many cases. I certainly yeah. am. And sometimes I do retreat into my own cocoon. But the best work I've done is because I've met with and worked with, you know, people better than me, yeah. you know, and people who round out my opposites. And that's, yeah, that's what that quote really means. Yeah. Dreamers that do. It's like you need a team to do. Yeah, fantastic. Oh, that's, yeah. Uh, that's a great insight. Scott Baltke, so much. thanks so much for being a guest on The Common Creative. Uh, we took a while to get this one organized, so it's certainly well worth the wait. Good things come to those that wait. <laughs> yeah, ditto, Scott. Thank you. So, great pleasure to talk to you. I'm now a subscriber to Implications, so I look forward to receiving those newsletters too. Excellent. Well, thank you, Chris, and thank you, Paul. I, I appreciate it. It's an honor to be here. Well, Chris, that was fantastic. As you said uh, in the beginning, I'm buzzing, and I'm going to, I, I'm going to have to really process this and go back and listen and and reread and look at my notes because there's so many things that I learned. And yet again, um, you know, we're, we're getting close to 100 episodes and still learning so much about creativity. And not that I'm, you know, not surprised given, as you said, that Scott is such a guru in the world of creativity. Oh, absolutely. Um, I'm hoping everybody listening is as excited about this as I am. I, like you, Paul, I've got to go back and listen to some very big ideas in that very short episode. Um, but if you've got any comments we'd love to hear from you, please put some comments um, and give us your feedback. We'd love a rating, if you don't mind. Give us a rating. Hopefully for this episode especially, a six out of five, I think, is it, it, uh, what a great guest. Um, and, of course, tell your friends. Uh, please tell your friends about The Common Creative. It helps us get the word out there about creativity. And, of course, it helps our guests spread the news about what they're up to. And Scott's, uh, Scott's newsletter, for example, Implications. Please tell your friends. Yeah, so there'll be lots of links in the show notes, including the link to Scott's. Uh, he mentioned Walt Disney's strategy from 1957, his diagram, which is a fantastic diagram. So, yes, as Chris said, thank you very much. And please tune in next week for another exciting episode of the Common Creative Podcast with Chris and Paul. Cheers. Bye for that.